Do you know that we celebrate every woman on Mother's Day? And so if you are a woman in the house, you are getting a gift. Come on, on the way out. We're so excited for that. But also we have opportunities to take beautiful photos with your friends, your family. It's going to be a good day. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a good day. You know, last week I was having a debate with my son. I am a mama and I have one son. He's 11 years old. And we were debating last week and he said, mom, what's the deal with Mother's Day? And he goes, you're, you're going to get a gift. It's a day about you. And I said, well, daily day celebrating me. Yes. He goes, but if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even be a mom. Now hear me. I am usually a pretty witty person. I usually have some really great comebacks, but can I just be honest? I had a tired parent day. Anybody ever had a tired parent day? You're like, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I had nothing. I didn't have a quick comeback. I didn't have some snide remark. I just said, huh. But a couple hours later, it came to me. Don't you hate that? Where something awesome, because what I should have said, well, son, on your birthday, we're going to get me presents. Why? Because without me, there would be no you. So happy birthday, mom. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So today, I want to talk about a family in the Bible. Now, this is not a perfect family. Hear me, because there's no such thing as perfect families, amen? It does not exist, but hear me, friends. We can still learn valuable life lessons from imperfect people. We can learn valuable, life-changing lessons from imperfect people. We can learn lessons from happy people from hurting people. We can learn lessons from older people and younger people. We can learn from men, we can learn from women, we can learn from a close friend, come on, or we can learn from a stranger. We can learn lessons from others. And so I think it's very fitting today to learn some valuable life lessons from a matriarch. Life lessons from a matriarch. So if you're taking some notes today or if you're getting online and you're sharing these notes on Facebook or another social media platform, the lesson today is from a matriarch and that matriarch is Naomi. Tell your neighbor, we're talking about Naomi. We're talking now. What's funny is you actually have to go to the book of Ruth to find out about Naomi. And hear me, I don't know why it's called the book of Ruth because literally she is a small character in the story. It really should be called the book of Naomi because as we read through this book today, we're gonna see that it's not about the faithfulness and goodness of God to Ruth. It's the faithfulness and goodness and God's loving redemption to Naomi that we see in the book of Ruth. And so if we could go back and say, don't name it Ruth, name it Naomi, I totally would go do that. But for all intents and purposes, let's go to Ruth chapter one to learn about Naomi. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, now hear me, this was before kings. This was before King Saul. This was before King David. This is when judges ruled in Israel. A severe famine came upon the land. So that means no water, no crops, no food options. Like life is deteriorating as they know it. And so a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. He had to leave the promised land, the land that God had given the children of Israel because now it's not producing a life for them. And now he's taking his family and he's moving to a distant country, to a foreign country called Moab. He took his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. 
So they leave the promised land, they go to this foreign land, and hear me, sometime later, Naomi's husband dies. We continue reading in scripture that now this widow is raising up two sons, but now they get married. And here is where we meet Ruth and Orpah. And I know you had to look at this twice because this looks like Oprah, right? Nothing's new under the sun. Oprah was not original. They just switched it a little bit from Orpah, okay? So Ruth and Orpah are now Naomi's daughters-in-law. But about 10 years later, after these two boys get married, they also die. And so now we have Naomi, a widow, and now a mother grieving. So in Ruth chapter one, verse five, it says, this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Do you know that in ancient days, a woman's family was everything? And now Naomi had lost everything. In her grieving, Naomi had heard word that back in the promised land, back in Bethlehem and Judah in her hometown, crops were growing again. And so she decided that I'm going to pack up and I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem because maybe there will be a family, a close relative there still living in Bethlehem. Now her daughter-in-law is also packed up. Now I do not want you to raise your hand because your mother-in-law or daughter-in-law may be sitting next to you. But think for a moment, would I pack up all my stuff and would I go with my mother-in-law somewhere? Or would I pack up all my stuff and would I invite my daughter-in-law to go with me? Hey, it works both ways, right? Don't raise your hands. But in Ruth chapter one, these girls go with them. It says, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters, because hear me, they're traveling. They packed up and they went with her. But she stopped them on the way. They're already packed. They've already been walking. They've already been traveling. And she stops them and says, wait, girls, go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Do you know what Naomi did just here? Naomi acknowledged, she blessed, and she released her daughters. Hear me, she acknowledged them. She saw what they've done to her. She said, may the Lord reward you for your kindness. That's acknowledgement. She blessed them. May the Lord bless you with security. And hear me, then she released them. You are free to go. You're not obligated to me. Now, I wanna, I wanna share this because we can learn a life lesson. We're, in fact, we're gonna learn three life lessons today from Naomi, but lesson number one is that we need to acknowledge and appreciate others. Yes, we need to acknowledge and appreciate others. Let me show you the science behind this. It says outward expression, that is actually putting into words or into action our appreciation for others. It validates the family member and it helps them to feel appreciated and loved. When someone feels appreciated for who they are or something they've done for someone, they are increasingly likely to show positivity and kindness to others. But hear me, it doesn't just stop for the person who's receiving the gratitude, right? Who's receiving the appreciation. It says for the person who is expressing that gratitude, for the person who's opening their mouth and acknowledging and showing appreciation towards others, there is also an increased satisfaction and happiness. By validating and showing appreciation to one another, goodwill is increased between family members and family bonds are strengthened. Friends, appreciation strengthens family. Appreciation strengthens family. Now hear me, what about my workplace? Does the same science of appreciation, does it translate to my workplace? Well, check this out. A study by the OC Tanner Institute shows that 88% of employees who receive recognition feel inspired to do great work. 
So when you appreciate your team members, when you show appreciation and gratitude and you praise your team members, your team members are gonna have an 88%, 88% of them are gonna have an increased inspiration to do great work. But hear me, the person who gives the recognition at work, the person who's opening their mouth and is appreciating those, their effectiveness increases 26%. So it works both ways, friends. We are going to have positive and benefits and impact from receiving appreciation and acknowledgement, but we also receive positive impact and benefit when we give it. See, the question here isn't how much do we appreciate others. If I were to sit here and ask you, do you appreciate other people? You would say, of course, Lindsay, I appreciate other people. The real question is, how often do I express that appreciation to others? How often do I open my mouth and say, I saw what you did and I'm so grateful for you? How often do we say, what you do in my life and you just being who you are, I appreciate it so much. So the question isn't, do we appreciate? The question is, how often am I appreciating others? Romans 12, nine through 10 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is supposed to be a delight, a joy. Now recently, recently I've been learning this, you know, that outward expression of appreciation, they're powerful. Can I ask you, do you feel appreciated? Do you feel appreciated in your family? Do you feel appreciated in your home? Do you feel appreciated in your workplace, in your friendships? Do you feel appreciated in your church? Do you feel appreciated? See, recently I had to have a conversation with my family. Sometimes we call it a come to Jesus meeting, right? We need to sit down because somebody's got to talk about something. And to be honest, I found myself in a, in a place in my heart because I love to serve. One of my top love languages is acts of service. And so that is how I show love. And that is one of my greatest ways of receiving love. And I love to serve my family. I love to be hospitable. I am your girl that will take goodwill and make it look like, like pure one. Like that's what I do. I love to take Ross and make it look like home goods or something. I just, I love it. I love me. I'm an extra person and I'm not going to apologize for that. I like to do extra. Okay. But I felt that my extra wasn't being matched with appreciation. Now I don't do it to receive appreciation, but come on, appreciation fuels those things, doesn't it? See, I had learned this lesson because Levi said to me, but mom, you serve our family all the time. I guess I just expected that of you. Let me share an important lesson with you. Without expressed appreciation, expectation will become obligation. Without expressed appreciation, expectation will become obligation. What I love to do will end up becoming something I feel obligated to if I'm not appreciated. Anyone ever feel obligated because of a lack of appreciation? But here's the kicker. I'm glad that I was honest with my family about this because when we're not honest and we bottle it in and we don't share with others where our heart is, where our love tank, hear me, if your love tank is on E, like ding, 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 red light, right? Just like your car. Sometimes you gotta let people know I am on E because this is what'll happen. Obligation will lead to resentment of both tasks and people. The people who you love to serve 
Now you might feel a little bit of resentment, hear me, even if they're your own family. The people who you love working with, you might feel a little resentment towards, even if you love it. The tasks that you always enjoy doing. I love making a table look beautiful, but you might get paper plates for dinner if I don't feel appreciated, because <laughs> then I'm a little bit resentful, okay? Now you might be saying, but Lindsay, you should know better. 19 years of full-time ministry. Don't you know we do everything is unto the Lord and not to people? Yes, I know that because it comes from Colossians. It says, and whatever you do, do it, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. But hear me, the Bible also tells us to encourage one another daily. So I'm gonna choose to do both. I'm gonna choose to serve them like Jesus wants me to serve them. But I'm also going to model and express when I need encouragement and also to give encouragement to others, amen? Y'all following me this morning, we're okay? Okay, because hear me, appreciation restores the joy of serving. It does. When you're, at a, when you're at a restaurant and you see someone's a little bit down, tell them that you appreciate them that day. Share with them that you're grateful for them and you will see a joy being stirred up and rekindled in them. See, it restores inspiration of 88% in the workplace. How much more will it do in our families, in our friendships, and in our communities? So let's get back to Naomi. In Ruth chapter one, verse nine, it says, then she kissed them goodbye. So she said, ladies, you are not obligated to me. I, I acknowledge you, I appreciate you, I bless you, and I release you. Get on with it. So she kissed them and they all broke down crying and they said, no, we wanna go with you and your people. Sometimes people just don't get what you're trying to say, right? So Naomi goes, come here ladies, <laughs> let me be real with you. This lady, this Naomi, I'm old. I can't make you more babies. And if I, if I made and produced more sons, you would be waiting 20 years for them to be old enough to marry you and you won't be able to have babies anymore. So there is no point and you staying with me because I can't help you in this area of remarrying and having children. I love this because now you got two women and now you got the information, right? Plain as day. Brene Brown calls it paint done. You know what I mean now. Clear is kind. And I love this because Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. She said, you know what, Naomi, you're right. This is still working and I'm gonna go find me a husband. I'm gonna go back to my mama's land and I'm gonna go have me some babies. She bounced. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, back to her gods. You should do the same. But again, she wept and she told her, absolutely not. She said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, how many of y'all have ever had a determined child, right? She, she said nothing and let her come, right? Can I tell you guys, friends? Control is never the goal. Control is never the goal. She was determined and signed. So Naomi, Naomi said, okay, come along. So these two ladies make the journey together from Moab to Bethlehem and Judah. It says the two of them continued on. Can we go to the next slide? And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited at their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi. 
Y'all haven't seen these people in years. And they all come up and they're like, oh, is that Naomi? It's our friend, it's our family. And they're all coming out cheering. Like, I want you to imagine like blow horns and confetti. Like the party just arrived at the road because Naomi is back. And she said, do not call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the old, almighty God has made my life bitter. Hear me, anyone ever seen the movie Trolls? If you have a young person, you've probably seen Trolls. There is this scene where Poppy is this exciting, extra loving human being. And she invites Branch to a party and there's this invitation and confetti throws out of it. And this is Branch's response. So when I read this, this is how I pictured Naomi. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now why would she say that? She would say that because Naomi meant pleasant. So here real quick, before we get there, let me tell you a life lesson from Naomi is it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. Only one person is clapping. Only one person gets it. Can we have a little bit more, please? It's okay to not be okay. See, Naomi's name, it meant pleasant and gentle. And maybe at some points in her life, she felt that life was very pleasant and gentle. But after losing her husband, after losing her two boys, after leaving a life that she had established in a foreign town and now having to come back without those she loved, she is saying, I'm not okay. And it's okay for me not to be okay. I don't need to put my game face on for y'all. In fact, I'm changing my name. My name is Mara. Do you know what Mara means? It means bitter. It's bitter. God has made my life bitter. And hear me, I love that. I love that she was real and said, don't call me pleasant and gentle because this time in my life is not pleasant and gentle. I love that she said, it's okay that I'm not okay. How many times have we said I'm fine or I'm good when we really weren't? The Bible tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no's, but how often do we give false answers to people? People ask, how are you? I'm fine. And inside, you're like, I'm about to crack, right? I'm about to break. And why is that? Why is it that we feel we have to say I'm fine when we're not fine? And why is it that we have to say I'm good when I'm, I'm really not good? A few weeks ago, we had an amazing couple come here and, and preach, pastors from uh, Washington, pastors Pradeepin and Amritha, and they said a, a, a phrase that I'm like, I'm gonna take that to my grave. They said, at their church, they want you to bring your Sunday worst. Not your Sunday best. Bring your Sunday worst. Can I tell you that church should be the place where we can bring our Sunday worst? It should be. This should be a safe environment. I mean, I'm telling you, George, when George was worshiping, come on, that wasn't the coffee at the coffee bar. That was because George got a little something, something from the Holy Spirit this morning, and he was just pouring out of it. It is in the presence of God, right? The presence of God inhabits the praises of his people. And so why can't I be undone here in a place where God inhabits? This should be the place where I can bring my Sunday worse. Come on, even on Mother's Day when I want my whole family to match and look good and take a dang picture, right? Right. So life lesson from Naomi was it's okay to not be okay. But the next one is this. Life comes in seasons and seasons are not permanent. Life comes in seasons, but seasons are not permanent. We know that 
because it's already 90-something degrees outside. We know seasons are not permanent. In a season of great loss, Naomi re-entered Bethlehem, but little did Naomi know. She came in bitter, but God had beautiful plans in store for Naomi and her family in Bethlehem. See, friends, we have to believe that seasons are temporary. Can you say that? Seasons are temporary. Seasons are temporary. They're temporary. Last week, I mentioned Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived on earth. He wrote this. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Now, some of you, there's a song coming to your mind. In every season, turn, 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 right? There is a season, right? You thought the birds wrote this. No, it was Solomon and Ecclesiastes told you nothing new's under the sun. Solomon did it because seasons are real. Let's go back to the scripture. It says, again, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Amen. Next one. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time, a season to embrace, and come on, there is a season and a time to turn away. There's a time to search and there's a time to stop searching. There's a time to keep and come on somebody. There's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There are seasons, but every season is temporary. I can't tell you how long a season will last, but I can tell you, friend, it will not last forever. It will not last forever. And one thing we can be sure of is that our life does not stop in the seasons. It doesn't. You can have storm clouds all around you or you can have sunshines and butterflies, right? But that life does not stop. Your responsibilities don't stop in seasons, do they? Bills still have to be paid. Food still has to be put on the table. Friendships still have to be fostered. Relationships have to be fostered and loved. We still have to do this thing called life. And so if life doesn't stop in these hard seasons, how do I handle the tension, right? What do I do with the tensions of the seasons? Maybe I had left a great season and I'm, I'm now found myself in a hard season. Or maybe I'm in a difficult season and oh, I see it on the horizon, but I just don't know how long it's gonna take for me to reach that horizon of a brand new season. What do I do with the tension? I want to show you what Naomi did because Naomi was a woman in between seasons. What did she do? She actively engaged in relationships with others. This is something that you and I can do, actively engage in relationships with others. We learned last week that the U.S. Surgeon General released a statement that we have moved from a pandemic, a COVID-19 pandemic, to a loneliness epidemic that people in our country are ridiculously lonely. It's affecting mental health, physical health, emotional well-being. We are in an epidemic from our U.S. Surgeon General says. So what do I do? I actively engage. Do you know that every day she talked to Naomi? She said, yes, my name's Mara, but do you still want to be my friend? <laughs> Hello, I'm not, I'm not gentle and pleasing right now. I'm a little bitter but I still need a friend. 
She's still engaged in community. Do you know that you don't have to just be your best version of yourself for someone to love you? You don't have to be the best version of yourself for people to want to huddle and rally around you and be with you. Every day she interacted with Naomi or with Ruth and with others. Second thing she did is she practiced gratitude. Here's a woman who, a woman who lost her entire life's value. And here she was practicing gratitude. If we go over to Ruth chapter two, what was happening every single day, remember life has to go on and so Naomi and Ruth still had to eat, but they had no male provider for them. There was no household that they belonged to. They were on the mercy of others. But what is so crazy is although they left, they left Bethlehem when it was in a season of famine, but now years later, it's in a season of harvest. So hear me friends, you could feel that you were in a season of famine, but I promise you, there is a season of harvest on the horizon. And so here they are now, crops are being harvested and there is plenty, there is overflowing. And so what these owners of land would do is they would allow the poor and the women to come together. And as the men are shearing the crops and they're gathering the harvest, women and the poor could come behind them and get the pickings. It's called gleaning. They could glean the, the wheat, the harvest, the barley and they could take some. In fact, this particular landowner was so generous that he told the gentleman with the shears, leave extra for them. Isn't that God? I'm not gonna just let you scooch by on things. I'm not gonna just give you somebody's leftovers. I'm going to provide over and above. And Naomi was watching Ruth come home with just these armloads of gleanings, these armloads of, of, of barley. And Ruth said, where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked her, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Hear me. Naomi knew that Ruth could not do that on her own. And so what was Naomi doing? She was expressing gratitude. I recognize that someone else is at play in this. And I am grateful. May the Lord bless that person. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she'd worked. And she said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. Hear me, friends, when we show gratitude, we're teaching that upcoming generation to be grateful in hard times too. As she's expressing her great attitude, she could have said, oh, Ruth, I'm so sorry you had to sweat today. I'm so sorry you had to go and, and gather what was coming from behind the others. I'm so, no, instead she said, look how God is providing for us. How grateful am I? May the Lord bless that man for blessing you. He's showing you kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives. He is our family redeemer. And let me shed some light on this real quick. In ancient Israel, there could be a close relative, the closest relative to whoever is deceased. Well, Naomi's husband was deceased first. And so a family redeemer would be a man, an unmarried man, who could then take the widow as a wife that could take in and say, I will be responsible for this household. I will buy the land in which your husband owned. I will give you a child so that his name can continue. Really, this redeemer had nothing to do with him, but it had to do with continuing that family's name. It was an act of service. And it just so happened that this man named Boaz was Naomi's living closest relative, a family redeemer. And so I want us to show here that we can have hope. Friends, we can have hope. Do you know what it probably did for Naomi to say, oh, 
we have a family redeemer. They ended up having actually another family redeemer too who was the closest relative, but Boaz worked that out and he became the person to marry Ruth. We can have hope, friends. And hope is easier to come by when we are in close proximity and relationships with others. Hope is easier to hold on to when I'm practicing gratitude. It's really hard to hold on to hope when I am saying daily that everything sucks. I'm not asking you to lie to yourself. It could suck, and it probably does suck. But maybe there's one thing, two things, that we can see that, God, you are still present, and you are still moving, and there's still breath in my lungs, even though some days I don't wish there was. But I'm grateful, Lord. I'm grateful, Lord. In Ruth chapter four, look, you're getting a whole book of the Bible today. You're like, hey, I went home and I read Ruth. Awesome. It says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home. He, he took her to be his wife. And she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. See, Ruth had never had a son. Both her and her sister-in-law Orpah, they had never had children. But she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, why do, you, why do you think I said this book should be called Naomi? They didn't go to Ruth and say, oh my God, you're pregnant, you had a baby boy, that's awesome. No, they went to Naomi and they said, praise the Lord, Naomi, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth. Gosh, friends, hard seasons can feel like it's stealing our youth, can it? Hard seasons can feel like, how many gray hairs am I gonna get from this? How many wrinkles are gonna come upon this face? Or sometimes, how much hair am I gonna lose in this process? But may he restore your youth and may he care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than even seven sons. Can I tell you when God moves and it's only one move, it's better than seven other things that could happen. When God shows up, even if it's just in one miraculous way, that thing that we needed and God brings it, it's better than seven others. God is so good, we can hold on to hope. You see, through Naomi's loss, God did something beautiful. Let's go to the next scripture. Naomi took that baby, took that grandbaby, that baby boy, and she cuddled him to her chest. And she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you why this is so significant. Through Naomi's loss, God brought the birth of Obed, the father of Jesse, the grandfather to King David, which would ultimately be the family, the family line that Jesus was born into. God redeemed Naomi's loss and she intertwined it with the life when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come down in flesh, fully God, fully man, came through the line of David. In fact, in Luke chapter one, verse 32 and 33, 
and speaking about Jesus, this is a prophetic word. It says, he will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Friends, you may be in a season that feels like you are surrounded by dark, stormy clouds, but God is still moving. And one day that cloud, it's going to part. Come on, that storm is going to move away. And the blessing that is going to come in that next season isn't going to just impact you. It's going to impact generations. We have a generational God, a God who loves us so much that he wants to minister to the core of who we are. Why? Because Naomi got to hold that baby to her own chest. He wants to minister to the core of who you are, but he wants your blessing to be a blessing to others. Amen. He wants your breakthrough through to lead to the breakthrough of others I don't know how here this is what I want us to adopt today I don't know how this season will be redeemed but I know it can be I don't know how God's gonna move I don't know how this is gonna get any better but God can do it God can do it now you have an envelope on your chair it wasn't meant for your neighbor it was meant for you I want you to open it up what you're gonna find is a, a blank piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to do something for you today. You see, there was a time in January of 2022 where I was in a season of a storm. I was so broken, but life had to continue. And I was speaking at a conference when one of the speakers came up and they handed me a piece of paper and they said, Lindsay, I want you to write a letter to yourself and I want you to have some vision because I want, it, I want you to write it to yourself knowing that in three months, you're gonna read this again. The Bible tells us where there is no vision, people perish. And so this speaker looked me in the eyes and said, write a letter to the three month later version of Lindsay. She's in a storm right now. Whew, she's in a season. But where is she going to be three months from now? Do you know I wrote that letter? I wrote that letter. In fact, I have it here today to share with you. January 28th, 2022. Dear Lindsay, joy has returned to your home. Friends, I had just lost a child in December. There was no joy in my home on January 28th, 2022. Joy has returned to your home. You're dancing again in your kitchen. Levi is being silly. Laughter fills your home. You and Jeremy are closer than ever. Loss will be the bonding agent for you. Even in the greatest loss, your love is gonna be greater. You still might not know why things happened the way they did, but that's okay. You've accepted that God will work all things out for good. Because, Lindsay, you are called according to his purpose, and that purpose has not changed. You are an amazing woman, and I'm grateful for you. Love me. Love me. Now, I can tell you I'd forgotten that I had even written this letter. And so when this letter showed up in late March, April of 2022, there was joy in my house again. We were dancing in our kitchen. We were closer than ever before and, and grief and sorrow and loss was a bonding agent. 
that brought us even closer. I still don't understand why it happened, but I'm content without knowing. God is good. And so I want you to envision yourself right now. And I want you to write a letter to yourself. We're gonna have the band play behind us for a few minutes. And when you are done writing that letter and hear me, I have prayed over you because I felt the Lord warn me that someone is gonna try to write something hateful to themselves. Nothing's changed. You're the same old person. I felt the Lord tell me that last week and I have prayed against that. I am speaking you with the authority of Jesus to be kind to yourself, to be gracious because the Lord would never speak to you that way. And it breaks his heart that is a child made in the image of God that you would speak to yourself, his creation that way. So I am praying blessings and grace and vision and love. So would you take the next few minutes and address yourself, dear me, and write, ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me on where I'm going to be in three months. Write down what you hope it will be in three months. And then when you're done, you're going to seal that envelope. No one's going to read this but you. You're going to address it to yourself. And then I have a table right outside those doors. And I'm going to be your friend, just like that friend was to me. And I'm going to mail it to you in three months. So write it out. Address it seal it and let me be a friend that tells you there's a new season coming amen so band would you play for a moment and friends would you please write down some words to you that you'll be reading in a few months
you're not in a rush. You need more time, you can take it. But when you do finish, seal that up. Address it to yourself. No one's gonna see it. And I will personally mail it back to you. We're gonna have a table right out these doors after our host releases us today. Ladies, you're gonna get a gift, but there'll be a table right out those doors that you can place your addressed envelope in that. And I would love the honor of being able to send that back to you in just a few months. So Father, in Jesus' name, I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for your faithfulness. I'm grateful for your goodness and your kindness. Jesus, I thank you that when we are far from you, God, you are right there. Revelation 3.20 says, there he stands at the door and knocks and anyone who opens that door, he will come in and dine with us. And so, Father, if we are desiring to have you in our lives, Lord, let us know that you are right there. And we have to simply say, dear Jesus, I'm opening the door. Come in and dine with me and I with you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for vision. In Jesus' mighty and holy name, amen, amen, and amen.